Hello and welcome to the Susquehanna County Conservation District's Conservation Quarter. I'm Don Hibbert. And I'm Courtney Bronze. And each week we bring you conservation topics and events from around the Endless Mountains. Well, it's the middle of the month and that means we get to discuss some hot topics and some breaking news, but it's going to be related to conservation and natural resources. So let's get right to it and see what you found to start us off today. So the first one I found, um, it happened back in February, and Pennsylvania captured the oldest wild turkey in PA state history. So like I said, it happened in February. Um, Wildlife biologists were turkey trapping as part of a larger study in Clearfield County. And I'll start by talking about the trapping a little bit, I guess. So they use what's called a rocket net to capture the birds. So basically they get the birds to congregate in one area. Um, maybe with corn or another food source. And then this rocket net kind of looks like a cannon and it blasts a net over them. And then the biologists run up and kind of, I don't want to say jump on, but like grab the turkeys and um, capture them that way. Do you ever use one? I know you you did some studies like that. Yeah, I did a little bit of it um, back when I was in college with the game commission. Super cool. Um, So once they're captured, they're banded. So this particular bird was actually wearing a leg band that was fitted in March of 2012 and she was captured only a mile from where she was in 2012. So she didn't go very far in those 10 years. So they used data collected from both captures to estimate that she was 12 years old and that's more than three to six times older than the average wild turkey. Okay, yeah, it makes sense. I was going to ask how they figure out the age. Actually, could be older, I would suppose. Yeah. I mean, you know, they just estimated, but um, that's pretty cool. Yeah, they say that if a hen turkey makes it to a year old, her lifespan's usually only one to three years after that. So. Well, I guess that means there's some pretty good environmental conditions, um, you know, where she was found. Yeah. So this capture was part of a new large-scale research project. And the Game Commission's putting GPS transmitters on hens across the state's six regions. So they plan to fit 100 birds with a backpack-style transmitter. So it's just like a tiny little transmitter that kind of sets on them like a backpack. Doesn't affect their daily life or anything they do. Um, So they plan to do 100 birds each winter through 2025. And if any of the hens die, they'll recover the transmitter and redeploy them. And then when they capture the birds, they'll also collect blood, tracheal, feces, and skin from each of the hens for disease analysis. Is that specifically what they're looking at? Is, you know, diseases that birds carry or are they... Um, overall, so the turkey population's declining, so I'll get to that in a minute, but okay. they're really just looking at what's causing the decline primarily. Gotcha. Um, Mary Jo Castellina, who's the PGC's wild turkey biologist, stated that this is going to be the largest turkey project that they've ever conducted and they have the hope of answering many questions regarding current hen population dynamics. So the population and movement portion of the study is really looking at how the landscape and weather impact nest rates, um, nest success, poult survival, predation, habitat use, and movement. And then there's also the disease portion of the study. So it's examining any disease prevalence Um, based on landscape and how it'll impact things like their survival and nesting. So yeah, um, back to the population decline. So back in 2001, the wild turkey population in Pennsylvania was estimated between 280,000 and 400,000 birds. 
Um, since then, we've been seeing a steady trend downward. Um, by 2019, PA's turkey population had dropped to an estimated 212,000. They think a lot of this is habitat loss, um, weather conditions, predation, disease, and of course, hunting mortality. Is it um, in particular areas of the state? I mean, you know, we, we live in the northeastern part of the state. Um, is there a population drop here or is it primarily out western part of the state? Um, so they're looking at statewide and really even the birds entire eastern United States range. Um, I notice it too up here. I think we still have a pretty steady population whereas other parts of the state where I hunt, you know, I've noticed an obvious decline. Yeah, okay. Well, be interesting to follow the study. Yeah, for sure. Um, so the commission's going to identify potential trapping sites each year. So they're asking the public to report the location of turkey flocks in January, February, and March of each year. So if you have turkeys and you're interested in helping out with the study, be sure to contact the game commission. Yeah, I think it's it's pretty crucial that we all get involved with you know studies like this. Um, you can play your part. Enjoy the outdoors. Enjoy hunting. Just enjoy observing wildlife. Um, you know, this is a chance to be a part of that study and, and help biologists out. So, Yeah, definitely. All right, so I have one, and it's the deer tick virus. Um, it's actually detected at popular Wyoming County Trail called the Iroquois Trail. And DEP was actually doing some studies out there and uh, conducted a study just to see if there was prevalence of deer ticks in the area and then tested the deer ticks that they found. Um, and what they found was that this particular virus had showed up. Um, it's, a, it's a virus that is pretty rare. Uh, however, it was found, like I said, particularly on this trail and also other locations throughout Pennsylvania. So I'm guessing that it'll be on the rise. Um, so the thing is, like a lot of people have never heard of the deer tick virus, myself included. Um, and really it's a, uh, a subtype of Housing virus. Um, yeah, I don't even really, you know, I didn't know what that was either, but um, basically a typical virus uh, with some symptoms that aren't, aren't too great, really. I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, but it can be transmitted from tick to human in as little as 15 minutes. Um, if you know anything about Lyme's disease, um, that takes about 24 hours to infect a human. Uh, whereas, you know, this one is little as 15 minutes, so gotta take extra precautions. Um, there's no vaccines, there's no medicine to treat Powison virus, um, so it's another addition to, you know, really why you should take the proper precautions before you go out in the woods. Uh, some of the symptoms include fever, headache, vomiting, weakness, seizures, encephalitis, which is swelling of the brain, uh, meningitis, swelling of the brain and spinal cord. Um, and uh, just like, I suppose, all viruses, there are, is a chance that you could be asymptomatic as well. Um, you know, it, maybe it goes down to your immune system to, a, to some degree. And um, uh, so like I was saying, the best way to protect yourself from the virus is to avoid tick bites altogether. And that means, you know, going out in the woods, when you go out in the woods, you're uh, taking those precautions like uh, spraying permethrin, uh, essential oils, using light-colored clothing to make sure you see the ticks if you have to pick them off. Um, 
And, you know, another way to fight invasives, especially ticks in general, is to get rid of some of your invasive species, uh, the plant species associated with um, a better population of ticks. And one being the Japanese barberry. There's a lot of studies that have been done showing that uh, they tend to populate really well underneath the Japanese barberry. Um, humidity, uh, because mice like to live under there with the berries. Um, deer in the same area, taking cover. So really they can live out their life cycle pretty easy in that area. Um, but yeah, so just want to mention that. Um, it's most likely not just at this trail, so please proper precautions uh, when you're going outside. So the next article I found was about um, new chronic wasting disease positives in Pennsylvania leading to new disease management areas. So if you're not familiar with chronic wasting disease or CWD, it's a neurological disease that affects members of the cervid family, so your deer, elk, moose, um, reindeer, and caribou. It's similar to mad cow disease or Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease in humans. And it's caused by abnormal prions or proteins. So these altered prions kill brain cells and eventually they lead to tiny holes in the brain of infected animals. Um, it's always fatal. And these are shed in saliva, urine, and feces. So animals can be infected through animal to animal contact or even through contaminated environments. Um, the prion does live in soil for long periods of time. So we didn't have it in Pennsylvania until 2012. Um, it was discovered in a captive deer. And then in early 2013, it was discovered in the wild population. And this resulted in the development of disease management areas across Pennsylvania. So these are areas that have specific regulations um, on what you can and can't do with deer parts. Um, recently, a new CWD disease management area has been created and two existing ones have been expanded. Um, this is because of a new case that they had found in a captive facility in Lycoming County last month. So this new DMA, DMA-7, is 460 square miles in size, and it encompasses part of Lycoming, Montour, Northumberland, Columbia, and Sullivan County. Mm, so. so Sullivan County, it's getting kind of close now. Yeah, we've been fortunate to not have it in this area. Um, so far, but it is working its way this way. I guess now would be a good time to say if you see any deer that are displaying symptoms like lethargic or just don't look right, um, it's always good to report those to the Game Commission. So in these disease management units, um, it's illegal to remove or export any deer or elk high-risk parts. So these high-risk parts are the head, um, spinal column, or spleen, um, any lymph nodes, all of that needs to stay. Um, you cannot use or possess deer or elk urine-based attractants. And it's illegal to directly or indirectly feed wild free-ranging deer. Um, so by indirectly, if you have a bird feeder or a squirrel feeder, or whatever, um, the minute the deer start eating that, you're indirectly feeding the deer. What about food plots? Food plots are still allowed. Um, and it's also illegal to rehabilitate wild, free-ranging deer or elk. So if you're interested in learning more about CWD, which I think as it kind of spreads across the state, it is something that everyone, especially hunters, should be knowledgeable about, um, you can visit the Pennsylvania Game Commission website. All right, so another one that I found, uh, and the last one we have for today, is um, Pennsylvania actually banned the sale of three more 
invasive plants. So they added ravina grass, which is otherwise known as pompous grass, uh, glossy buckthorn, and common buckthorn, and that's to the ever-growing list of noxious weeds which we have in the state. Um, side note, these plants can't be sold or cultivated in the state any longer, so stay away from that. Uh, nurseries should know at this point. I'm sure they got notice. Um, but, you know, out-of-state um, mail-order catalogs, that type of thing, uh, might not. So it's your responsibility as well. Uh, the ban or the sale on cultivation actually took effect back on April 5th of this year uh, with enforcement phased over the next year. Do you know how they plan on enforcing that? I don't. Um, you know, if there's a, a violation, maybe there's some type of a fine. Um, not quite sure. Maybe that's something we'll look into and speak about on a future show. Uh, so just to go over uh, the three that they've added, Ravina grass, or I said pompous grass, it's a six foot tall perennial ornamental grass, um, commonly sold or was sold in nurseries. Uh, glossy buckthorn, that's a small tree or shrub, and the berries are eaten by birds primarily, uh, and that's how it actually spreads. Um, it aggressively spreads in wetlands and uh, really chokes out the natives and they're even animal habitats as well. Um, common buckthorn, that's a deciduous tree and it reaches 20, 22 feet high, uh, has dark green leaves and berries and tends to form dense thickets um, and really choke out the native ecosystems. So uh, Pennsylvania is really gearing up when it comes to invasives. Uh, I'm not sure if you heard about this at all, um, I think they're going to adopt New York's model from what I heard, right? Yeah, actually, uh, they really are. Um, New York's really tackled this and done a, a good job. And they've set up public-private partnerships, um, kind of like spearheaded uh, the detection of invasive species and even hired technicians with uh, set-aside districts. Um, and all that's really uh, helped them identify invasive species rather quickly uh, so Pennsylvania is kind of following in their footsteps and um, hopefully yeah we'll be able to, to tackle that problem as well um, so like I said at the beginning these species they actually join a growing list of invasives that have been banned um, so back in the fall there was the Bradford pear uh, the Japanese barberry which I talked about earlier in the show and garlic mustard so those are three recent additions to the ones that we just mentioned today all that to say plant natives right and if you need assistance with figuring out what to plant um we have a great resource with the penn state master gardeners so they have an office right here in susquehanna county that you could reach out to and ask for help yeah great idea so with that we do have a couple of events for you the first one is on the nepa rail trail they're having a Trail Day celebration April 23rd, and that's at the Caboose at the Uniondale Trailhead. It's from 12 to 4. Um, they're going to have a bike ride, a walk, hike, dog parade, children's hike and read, food, and music by Jim Caro. So they do ask that you pre-register. You can do this by emailing trails at nep.net, or you can call the office at 570-679-9300. 
Okay, and um, Salt Spring State Park. They're actually doing an Arbor Day celebration. That'll be on Saturday, April 30th from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Uh, and you can come for either of the two sessions, uh, 10 to noon or 1 to 4. So they're going to meet at the Dairy Barn and main parking area. Um, the program is outdoors, so make sure you dress accordingly. Um, you'll be able to plant a tree and learn about the riparian buffer project. So they, they get into it a little bit more. They say, uh, learn about native trees and other shrubs that benefit us and wildlife. Uh, you'll also be able to learn about native trees and shrubs that are being planted along the stream bank um, and uses such as stabilization as well as to increase wildlife habitat and enhance stream quality. So that's known as the riparian buffer. Um, so they, they want you to become a part of this important project and leave a legacy for years to come. Yeah, so I, I mentioned that it'll be outside and they said that um, it does involve stream crossings, so wear waterproof boots, um, yeah, and just dress accordingly. Well, I guess that does it for today's show. If you have questions related to our shows, you can contact the Conservation District by calling 570-782-2105. If you missed a portion of today's show, you can go to our website, www.suscondistrict.org, and find our Conservation Corner page with past episodes, links to information about past episodes, and a contact form where you can reach out and ask questions or make comments about the show. You can even suggest ideas for future shows. You've been listening to the Susquehanna County Conservation District's Conservation Corner. I'm Courtney Bronze. And I'm Don Hibbert saying, enjoy the outdoors. <laughs>